I remember Kiss played Burswood Burswood Dome. I think this is going back to like 2001 or something like that. Don't mess with the Kiss Army. Well, I gave it a four-star review, but the thing is that the week before ACDC had played, played the same venue and they were like better. Yeah. And I pointed this out to the Kiss Army who got pretty angry. I got like death threats and people said they're going to show up to the West office and, uh, and clock me and things like that. G'day, this is Living the Dream, a podcast from Gage Roads where you'll hear from people who are all about going after what they love. We'll chat to photographers, musos, surfers, designers, a range of people who are living life their way. And this week, a guy who may have the world's best job. We've spoken to a few people with pretty cool gigs, but I reckon this one's right up there. Simon Collins has been a music writer, reviewer, feature writer for a couple of decades. He's interviewed some of the greats. I'm sure he'll drop some names later, but talking on his behalf, McCartney, Jagger, many other music legends who we identify by one name only. He's seen some iconic shows over his time too, uh, but also really pushed the local scene just as hard. And if he didn't have a good enough job just doing that over the last few years, he's picked up some beer writing as well. How good? Simon, g'day. Yeah, g'day, Jamie. How's things? Yeah, good. Best gig ever? It's pretty good. Yeah, when it's good, it's very, very good. When's it not? Uh, When you're stuck backstage forever waiting for an interview, like for hours upon hours upon hours, and uh, when you're sometimes filing a review from the Portaloos from a concert... Uh, when you do a concert review that's completely honest or just your own opinion and hundreds of thousands of people suddenly want you dead. Yeah, I was going to get to that, the the reviewing side of things, right? Because a lot of that is opinion and subjective, but do some people take that really, really personally? Oh, yeah. It's definitely, concert reviews are definitely the pointy end of of the the music writer's game. That's where I've had all all my biggest kind of controversies and some of my probably my most read stories as well. People really read them. And I've had a, a bunch of different things. I remember um, way back, uh, Kiss played Burswood, Burswood Dome. I think this is going back to like 2001 or something like that. Don't mess with the Kiss and, Army. Well, I gave it a four-star review. But the thing is that the week before ACDC had played, played the same venue and they were like better. Yeah. And I pointed this out to the Kiss Army who, yeah, got pretty angry i got like death threats and people said they're going to show up to the west office and uh, and clock me and things like that really so that was pretty interesting and um you know and then then a few years later i think it was 2009 uh britney spears brought a circus tour yeah the aptly named circus tour to birds with dome as well and a lot of people have problems with uh, their vocals there she didn't because she wasn't singing yeah uh all miming and she just looked like she didn't want to be there which as we know today Hashtag free Britney. She did not want to be there. There's a bit of context later, isn't there? I know. And yeah. I, re- I read, reread my review recently in the context of free Britney, and I'd actually said things like she doesn't look like she wanted to be there. Yeah. Um, she looks like a zombie, you know. Anyway, so that copped um, a bit of grief, mainly the final line, which I remember a friend of mine who was a, a hostie in, um, she was in uh, Dubai at the time. She read my reread uh, snippets of my review from Hello Magazine, particularly the final <laughs> line, which was, "You can't polish a turd, but you can roll it in sparkles." <laughs> You've made it. You're in Hello. That got me. And those sort of throwaway lines that are, yeah, you think might be a bit of fun, and the final thing definitely do get you in trouble. Like most recently, um, my Phil Collins review from his "Not Dead Yet" 
tour got me in trouble because I finished with uh, Phil Collins is not dead yet, but they might want to check for a pulse. Wow, yeah, that's that's pretty cutting. That, that was yeah, perhaps yeah. Even I've got to say there, there was a line that I was perhaps at least straddling, if if not both feet over. Have you ever regretted one? Have you looked back and gone, oh, I did go too hard there. That one, uh, yeah, that perhaps. One. <laughs> but also you read it and you go, the review's better with it in it, and you just go, that's, you know. And I do know this, okay, I reckon I was a little bit out of tune with the audience on the Taylor Swift last tour, the uh, Reputation tour. I really loved her previous tour, Red, which was the first time I'd seen her live. Uh, and I thought the Reputation tour was a bit harsher. I think it was based around an album that wasn't as popular, and most people would, most Swifties would agree with me on that. I kind of gave it a very lukewarm review, and I think it was a better. It was a show bet that was better than lukewarm. Yeah, yeah. Um, has some really great moments, um, but no. I mean, I gave. I didn't give him a kicking, but I gave Ed Sheeran a very, very lukewarm review. And I remember that was the he played Optus first artist to play at uh, uh, Optus Stadium, and just two such nights. a huge joint to play. Sixty thousand people, yeah. two nights. Um, very odd to think about it in the context of today. Um, and he, yeah, I just found him lukewarm. The song, his song, Galway Girl, if I never hear that again, it'll be too soon. And I gave it just a, I sort of pointed out my issue, my problems with him. And a lot of people, particularly music lovers, whom like a craft beer lover, their palate, ex, palate develops past your basic kind of Swanee D, great beer, but, you know, <laughs> your palate develops past it. That's the beauty and, of it. And, and so, you know, if I'm being kind or making excuses for myself, then... You know, Ed Sheeran, not for me. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the, oh, look, he's doing all this stuff with the, on these pedals and whatever. He just For me, he's just a glorified busker. He's just the world's biggest busker. Yeah. Anyway, and I said as much as that. And I remember the uh, online, um, the, the guy that was running online in the office was saying, oh, you're uh, in an email. Oh, your reviews are going pretty well. Because we were slicing and dicing this Ed Sheeran. You know, not only was it the biggest name in pop at the moment, but he was playing our new stadium first act so there was we're doing like you know the, the editor couldn't get enough stories the west was running any angle page upon page about ed sheeran i've never done so much writing so anyway he was giving me it was sort of i think he was asking me for something else and i said oh yeah how's the review going and he goes oh yeah your review's going pretty well and i said oh good 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 um tell me when it gets past one hundred and twenty thousand. like jokingly thinking that nah, you know nothing does that many yeah um, and that was the number of people in the stadium. He goes, oh, yeah, it's, yeah, it's about past that. It'll be past in the next hour. And I was going, oh, boy. Oh, boy. <laughs> I'm in for so, some trouble here. Oh, boy. Don't check my Twitter for a few days. Yeah. and Wow, well, yeah. I learned that the hard way. In the previous review of Ed Sheeran from his, one of his previous tours at RAC, because I'm a, you know, for the listeners, I'm a ginger. Um, uh, you know, ranger, carrot top. Uh, Daywalker. Um, <laughs> yeah, the, shouldn't you be banding together with yeah. Ed? Come on. Well, I was, but I referred to him as, you know, sprinkled the review with uh, these sorts of things. and he can. And he retweeted my review with, quote, pull all these, like, um, you know, these terms out and put it and said, you know, stay classy, Simon. <laughs> and I remember I was driving to my folks' place for lunch. My wife was driving. I was in the passenger seat and I've just checked my Twitter. And I've gone, oh, oh honey, uh, Ed Sheeran's um, tweeted me. Ah, put my phone back in my pocket and then gone. Oh dear, a guy with, I think he had like 8 million. Yeah. Like a lot of 10 million followers there. He's probably like 20, 30 million now. But, but my Twitter was just going... Going off. Off. So I kind of knew when I was giving uh, Ed a, a crap or a kind of a lukewarm review at Optus uh, years later that I was going to cop it. But I don't know. It was just my opinion. I couldn't... I can't give anything other than my opinion. The one thing I forgot is that now all our reviews have a byline that links to our email... 
Oh, direct access. Direct access. Yeah. As long, so, as, as, long as the KISS guys don't get your address, you're going to be okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So the less it is, world's best gig, but just have a thick skin and play it how you see it. Yeah, I mean, the way I say it, when people in the past, people just email you now or they, they bomb you on social media. Um, back in the day, back in my day, yeah. um, they used to they'd call you up. They'd ring the switchboard, the switchboard put you through, put them through. And you'd have someone that would start going, were you even at the gig? And you'd go, well, no, I just guessed. I just guessed the yeah. set list and I just guessed what he said uh, after song three and... You know, I just guessed that it was such and such's birthday and they're saying happy birthday to him, which is a pet hate. Don't do it if you're a musician. <laughs> and um, anyway, so, but generally you'd go, I'd say, well, this is, um, that's just my opinion. I'm just saying what my opinion is. And, um, you know, I, I can't have anyone else's opinion, but I usually turn it around and say to them, what did you think of the show? What did you like about it? And so I'm glad you had a good time. My review is not there to stop you from having a good time. It's just my opinion. It's just my review, and I've got a different role to play than, you know, someone who's maybe splurged, you know, three, four hundred thousand dollars on a on a big night out. If you take into account taxis and uh, babysitters, if it's a boomer act, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Although boomers it. these days, their kids are growing up and. They can actually go to the well if there were gigs, they could go to them. Well, that's it. They've got a second wind. You know, it's it's <laughs> yeah. come around full circle again. And with some of the the touring that we're seeing as well, you know, a lot of those those acts are, are coming around for another dip. Yeah, well, when they're allowed to. Yeah, uh, well, exactly. I mean, Elton John, by the time he finishes his tour, yeah, um, he'll be on the road for like five six years. His farewell tour and Rod Stewart's the same. And yeah, his Kiss tour has been um, postponed a couple of times. So. Look, I still got yeah. tickets to The Offspring, you know. So I'm, I'm from the original wondering. tour in the nineties. Yeah. yeah, that was actually the first gig I ever went to when I was fifteen the at the Entertainment Centre. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So when I saw that they were coming, I thought, got to go back just for nostalgia's sake. How was the know? mosh pit? Yeah, I was. I was actually. I was allowed to go at fifteen with a friend, but I wasn't allowed in the mosh pit. My parents. That was the caveat that they put on oh. it. So I was the kid in the seats, which kind of sucked and not my vibe. But you know, it got me in there. Um, is that where was that again? The, that was at the Ent Centre. The Ent Centre. Yeah. yeah, I went to gigs at the Entertainment Centre where a local radio station. You'll guess them by the price. Sold tickets for nine dollars ninety six. Nice. I remember saw in Crowded House on the Temple of Low Men tour there. Fantastic bands like Noiseworks. But you go along. I wasn't a huge Noiseworks fan, but I went along because it was less than ten bucks a ticket. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good promo actually. I might just write that one down for future reference. It's been ninety nine dollars sixty now. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> So how did, you, how did you get into this world? Because it is one of those gigs that I reckon when people are younger, they fantasise about doing. Like, I'd love to be the guy who interviews the bands and reviews the gigs. How did it start for you? Um, I, I've never really considered myself like a real, like a music nerd. But in hindsight, looking back, I kind of was. I, was, I always uh, loved, uh, you know, taping, you know, Casey Kasem's American Top 40 and, you know, swearing when he talked over the beginning of, like, you know, Raspberry Beret by Prince or something like that. Um, always like that sort of top 40 radio, the 80s, the golden age, where it was like, you know, Springsteen and Cindy Lauper and Prince and David Bowie and Madonna. Always loved that stuff. Um, got the, uh, got the um, you know, the Choose 985 cassettes and things like that, giving away my age. Nice. Um, but also, I think the first couple of cassettes I bought with my own money were, like, Aussie Crawl, Crawl File. Yeah. And Split Ends, Ends of an Era. Not bad start. I think the Coburn Markets and um, Swap Meat or something like that. Yeah, good start. I'm happy with that. And um, 
I won't tell you what my first record was, though, when I was a kid. Embarrassing? Well. They all are. It almost has to well, be embarrassing. Well, it's embarrassing, right? and then there's, like, all together now, a live record by Rolf Harris, embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and we In my defence. And we don't talk about that for other reasons, no, right? No, yeah, no. Yeah. I think I was out of Sesame Street, Rubber Ducky, or, or I think my um, very first piece of vinyl I might have had was uh, Up There Kazali by Mike Brady. Oh, nice. Single. Sold about, they sold a million copies in Australia, I think. Yeah, and gets a good run out. every um, September. The banger. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, always music's always been there. Never been sort of, you know, a guy that was thought I'd be the guy on stage singing. It's never been my thing. I've just been a, a fan. You've loved consumer. it and always been around it. Yeah, and fairly diverse tastes. Um, uh, yeah, and then just, you know, be a kid at school. There was, like, you know, school bands and we'd go and sneak in before, uh, you know, before they were cracking down on ID. In fact, the kind of ID cra- uh, checking thing sort of coincided with around the year that me and my mates turned 18. And I was May, so I wasn't too bad. I think, you know, it really seemed to be happening at the pubs where we used to go see a bunch of bands for, for free, um, like the Cave Bar in, in Frio, which is underneath the Swan Hotel. Yeah. And, uh, and the Harbour Side, which is now the Australian Hotel over near Captain Munchies, used to go there all the time. That was great to see local bands, and you know it was great. We we it just blew our mind when Cinema Prague put out a double, like a double A sided single. We just never thought Perth bands could do that, uh, and that's why it's been astounding now to go like what's the, one of the biggest touring bands on the planet is uh, it's from Frio in Tame Impala. It's it's crazy to think, right? But you, you've had this this uh, window seat, really. Like you grew up around the scene, and then you've been in a position where you know not only the international and national stuff you've written about, but you've seen the local stuff develop as well. But I mean, how have you seen WA music evolve over the last couple of decades? Oh, it's just gone from like strength to th- strength to strength. There's been um, it's sort of become layered as people have seen that. Um, you can be a successful national or international band and not leave Perth. You know, like the, the bands like the Triffords and, and the Stems, we owe them a debt of gratitude for what they achieved, I guess. And then bands like Jebediah, who were never sort of appreciated for their achievements as much as they probably deserve. I mean, they double platinum album, I think, slightly odd way, or maybe the one after. Um, and then bands like Eskimo Joe, a lot of these bands, all the musicians in them are still going. It just yeah. becomes layered. Um, Sleepy Jackson, Little Birdie... And some of these bands are still, like I said, still going, but then there's other bands on top. And every time that I see, for example, uh, something great, like see Spacey Jane really, really early on and go, wow, there's a heap of potential there. And then you see me six months later and you go, okay, they're better than I thought they'd be. And then where they are now, um, their first album, Sunlight, was ter- is, is terrific. And they've got a new one coming out not, not too far away now. And... Um, Oh, you know, great live band. But then underneath that, you go see them in the support acts, like bands like Ghost Care and Great Gable and uh, I don't know if Sly Withers have performed them, but there's another great local band that's coming up. And so just this layer upon layer and always new bands coming through. And, you know, and, and I'm talking about indie rock, but if you love your heavier stuff, we've had Carnival, which are one of the most respected bands on the planet in, yeah, that, in that genre. I remember seeing them when I was 15 in a shed in Midland. And, yeah. you know, just to see where they've, they've gone has been amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, all these bands, I mean, I remember seeing Sleepy Jackson, Little Birdie, End of Fashion, Eskimo Joe, all these bands um, in early, early shows and the panics and thinking, you know, 
a lot of potential here and then see him again in six months and it being this exponential improvement and think, well, this is one of the best bands in the country. And they get to develop beyond what they would in Sydney because they'd get to a certain point in Sydney or even Melbourne and someone would sign them and mould them and try to push them in a particular direction and instead of letting them find what makes them shine, what yeah. makes them unique. So you don't think you need to leave anymore? Are we, we're past that point? Um, I think, well, I think you need to be a, it's, it's a difficult situation now, uh, but let's pretend there's no pandemic. I think you do need to be able to travel and, uh, you know, bands like Little Birdie have definitely been helped by, um, you know, small but vital grants from the state government, for example, to help them get over east and get in front of uh, Triple J people that perhaps don't have time or, you know, A&R people of major labels that perhaps don't make the time to come to Perth all that often. Uh, you know, sometimes you've got to be really lucky. You know, I think um, people like John O'Donnell, who was at Sony and now been at EMI for a long time, were really instrumental in helping WA Music because they came across and saw all these bands and, and uh, you know worked with as many of them as they could. On some of those interviews, because we were talking about the local stuff just then, but I mentioned some pretty big names at the top. I didn't want you to have to do all the name dropping here (laughs) today, (laughs) but 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 is there an interview or a few interviews that that really stand out to you as, I can't believe that I got to sit in the same room and ask them questions? Yeah, there's a few pinch yourself moments. You mentioned McCartney earlier and um, I um, I got to do a phone interview with him before his most recent... Uh, solo tour or yeah, McCartney tour and um, and then uh, when he got here he did the amazing thing of his band sort of knocked out some cobwebs with a little sound check at, at the Regal Theatre where they invited 20 people along and, and I was asked to MC that and I've never uh, been quite so nervous as when I was being introduced to Paul McCartney. <laughs> it's like I'm not, I'm not a massive, uh, I wouldn't say I'm like a Beatles aficionado or a massive Wings fan or anything like that. Yeah. Like, I love, you know, I, I do, yeah, you can't not like the Beatles. They're just there. But just, you know, still, it's just one of the, the big names. And he was so down to earth. He was so great with the, with the fans. Uh, finished it by just sort of jumping off the, well, going off stage and um, sort of high-fiving and taking selfies with them. It's incredible. Just being a guy. Just a guy. Yeah. yeah. A lot of respect for those guys. And, I mean, Jagger was just a, a phoner, but that was great. Mick Jagger was before the Stones last tour and to, to Perth. And, um, again, like I, that was one of the few times where I've submitted questions beforehand. Um, and he – it was just more, like, don't waste my time sort of stuff. Like, he would, he would just – all the questions that he didn't answer, we wouldn't, didn't want the interview ones where he sent back with the answers. Right. Just like – because it was just like a number or yes or – Something yeah. simple that you can yeah. move on from. And yeah. then, like, we did go off the questions during the interview because he's a massive cricket nut and there was an Ashes tour that just happened to coincide with a Rolling Stones tour. Yeah. Funny, funny that. Yeah. <laughs> Got to make it work for you, right? Um, but uh, – yeah, once once upon a time, I'd be just completely stumped when someone asked me in a pub, like, "What's your favourite? What, what's the? Oh, who's the best interview you've ever done?" And I'd be like, "Oh, just think of the best of the last four. Um, but then in two thousand and three, I went to Melbourne and just managed to um, wrangle myself an interview with Ray Charles. Wow, uh, which was um, which was incredible. I think actually uh, the late great Rusty Wolf lists this as his also his favourite interview and. Both of us did it shortly before Ray, Ray Charles passed away in 2004. Um, there was a spate of these um, great blues and soul artists coming to Australia and then passing away 
a little bit afterwards, like Bo Diddley and Bo Diddley, yeah. They shouldn't they shouldn't be touring Australia if that's what's going to happen. But yeah. anyway, now Ray was great. Like I was, I was dealing with his PA. I was at this Melbourne Music and Wine Festival at outside the the old Jeff Shed, the convention centre there, on the Yarra. And um, I mean, just all the promoter had done. The promoter had flown me over on his own credit card, um, and to kind of get these last few interviews before the Perth uh, Music and Wine Festival, which was the first kind of blues and roots thing here. And the problem was that people didn't believe that there was a festival in Perth with Bob Dylan, Wilson Pickett, and Ray Charles, as well as like I think I don't know who else is on that bill, but like a good strong bill. But those three. Like That's absolute wild. legends, yeah, yeah, absolute icons of music. So when was this? Early two thousand. Two thousand and three, yeah. Yeah, wow. And um, so anyway, I'm in Melbourne, and all I've got is his PA's, um, this French guy, um, his his mobile number, and I'm just basically just calling him during the day, and then I'm at the festival, and I get the text, um, come to Ray's uh, hotel uh, as soon as you can after he finishes his set. So I race to the hotel, it's the Como on Chapel Street, yeah. and um, and I just sit in the lobby and have a have a gin and tonic to steady the nerves and wait a while, and then get up there and I'm in his band room. And I've been told by the PA that I can I can have five minutes, and I'm like I'll take anything, and I'm hanging out with his band, and they're all packing out their instruments and talking talking uh, you know talking a good game. It was pretty pretty funny just to be. It was worth the price of admission just to get that, really. I was going to say that the fly on the wall moment there is probably worth it all. Yeah, and then I went into this like, darkened hotel room with, with Ray and we just sat on a couch right next to each other and talked for 40 minutes. Wow, so yeah. you just kept going and all of a sudden five becomes I just, 40? I just went till I got sort of like a wind-up. Yeah. And, you know, like, yeah, it was amazing just... A huge honour with a guy that's one of the most important people in, in musical history. And I really, really do love, I mean, like Ray Charles, I love talking to those artists with those depths of stories, like whether it's like James Taylor um, or Carol King or Elvis Costello or, um, I mean, I love Mavis Staples. Yeah. Um, she's one of my all-time favourite, just musicians, singers. Uh, it's just great. Uh, Particularly when they've got great stories, or like Dolly Parton, and and they're the ones that really stand out for me. Is it is that one of the rules or the hacks when you've been doing this for long enough that when you go to interview someone big, generally I imagine it's person after person, and it's hey mate, you've got five minutes, keep it at five, or you've got ten, just keep asking questions until you get kicked out. Is yeah, well, the Ray Charles one, I was the only one there. There's yeah. no one else to get. They got an interview with him on that tour. Um, so, yeah, sometimes it's. Some of those artists operate outside of the sausage machine. You know, the, the one, you know, we're doing a day of press, one interview, you know, one, one person in, one person out. Can those um, days be a little frustrating where, where you know you're just one of many and they're probably going to get similar um, questions through the day or yeah. do you just look at it as great opportunity, let's see what happens? Yeah, well, they're generally professionals if they're doing that sort of thing. Um, and generally it's not too many people. I've rarely been in one where it's like a full day and it's journal after journal after journal. Um, it can be like that at South, an event like South by Southwest when there's the world's music journos in one spot. But generally speaking, particularly with big inter- international interviews, it's either been just me or myself and a couple of other journos. And so the person's giving us 20 minutes, half an hour each. And, um, you know, so it's only an hour of their time. Uh, Unless you... Uh, and one of the stories I was going to tell you is about one of the nicest people I've interviewed is Katie Lang. Right. Because I got out of the interview. Great interview. She's fantastic. She's witty. 
she's you know awesome singer um you know an icon and i got out and i realized my tape hadn't worked oh no and i told the the manager the manager and katie just said come back in let's do it again like yeah. but it was great and and i and i i sort of went well i think we sort of had a chat before we started the tape rolling again and made sure it worked this time um that here were what i thought were the best six things and she gave me didn't give me the same answers but gave me similar answers that were you know her talk you know in her voice that's a really good insight into someone right because in that moment you can act the big dog and go well you you know you should have you know checked your equipment mate yeah. and just move on to but to be able to welcome you back and do it again with the same enthusiasm is pretty special yeah and yeah like you say not everyone works that way no <laughs> no that is the thing though i've have, I, we, I think every journal has had the moment where the recorder hasn't worked or you've just forgotten to press record. Yeah. 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 I've only had it happen a couple of times um, or a handful of times. Uh, very, very minuscule percentage of my overall interviews and most times it's worked out okay. Um, yeah, like, I mean, you know, I interviewed Tommy Ramone from the Ramones when he was in town to do a, a kind of a musical, kind of jukebox musical type thing with... With the Ramones music with Nick Shepard and some others, and and um, my tape just got uh, my I don't know what happened. My, yeah, my tape got chewed and I couldn't fix it. And he just literally went into his bag and handed me one of his. Um, and yeah, let me tape. This is you know when you're taping on actual cassettes. I was going to say, show yeah, my age again, going back a little. It's all digital now. It's all on your iPhone. A little so. easier with the phone now, right? <laughs> yeah, you just got to make sure that you hit save at the end. And you're well, yeah, all good. yeah, yeah. It's all in the cloud. Did people, I hit it? Did I hit it? People can nick it. <laughs> yeah, actually, I had a friend of mine who's a musician, and he was talking about a song that he wrote, and he came up with the idea just before bed, and kind of like played something, hummed something into his phone, and then in the night, the phone completely smashed, like it fell oh, from the bedside table onto the tile or concrete floor, but had luckily just sent it straight to the cloud. So it was, oh, nice. it was still around, yeah. Oh, nice. I yeah. think Keith, that's how he wrote, that's how Keith wrote Brand Sugar or Satisfaction, the riff to that, isn't it? I don't know that story. Yeah, he recorded something on his, on his not on a phone, but on, he had, probably had something next to his bed, probably like a full studio people waiting. Yeah, 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 yeah. I've got it. I've got it. It's ready to roll. Um, what about some of the gigs? Are there, are there standouts for you? I know we talked about the local stuff, but but some of the bigger artists that you might have travelled to see or had even come here? Um, probably my favourite gig ever is Bruce Springsteen at uh, South by Southwest in 2012. Right. It was the second show of his, um, not rec- was it Wrecking Ball? or the, Yeah, the Wrecking Ball tour. Uh, and he had, as when, it was the second gig with Tommy Rowe from Rage Against the Machine on guitar, plus there was members of Arcade Fire just, so it was like the E Street, which is big enough as it is, plus... Um, oh, plus these plus guys. Morello, plus Morello, um, plus Arcade Fire. Uh, Jimmy Cliff, the reggae singer, came out and did like, how do they, how do they come? That's wild. How do they fall? Yeah. And randomly, like, Bruce Springsteen gave the keynote at South By that year, and during it, he started talking about his love of British invasion music and mentioned the animals. And someone just worked out or remembered that Eric Burden from The Animals was in town. And so, you know, through Twitter or something, they, they found him and Eric Burden joined uh, the East Street Band for Gotta Get Out of This Place. So it just was, and this was in the ACL, which is a theatre, uh, the Moody Theatre, which holds about 2,000 people. And it was, yeah, so it was a real special. And you go and you got tickets through a lotto. But the funny thing was, almost every Aussie journo there managed to win this lotto. Oh, so, really? Yeah. 
I think I think they might have known that he was about to not far off announcing Australian dates. Yeah, <laughs> just we might need these guys here. Gidinski working his wonders. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's it. Did you? Obviously, he passed away last year. But you know, mm. doing what you did for so long, what was your relationship like with him? Good. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Yeah. No, really good. He was very upfront with me. If he didn't like something, he'd caught. He'd you know, let me know. I wouldn't understand him. Be like Simon. <laughs> <laughs> Um, his gravelly voice is serious. Like everyone says the same thing. I'm glad it wasn't just me that thought you get off the phone from him and oh, what the fuck have to did go, you just what, say? What was that about? Yeah, what happened there? Um, had a great trip, which he um, and um, Warner Music um, sent sent me and a, a bunch of other journos on, um, where we went to London, uh, did a bunch of interviews in London, then went up to Manchester where we. I went to a, a see James Blunt, James Blunt in Sheffield and interview him, which wasn't you know wasn't the highlight, but James is a great interview. I was going to say he's a funny guy, right? The interview. He's far under. Don't like his music, but I love love to chat to him. Yeah, um, him and Michael Bublé and people like that. They're yeah, just great great chats. And then um, then we flew to Helsinki for the second day of the Kylie Minogue Aphrodite tour. Right, and that was amazing. I mean, London was London, and I mean, I love Manchester, London. I can give or take, but Helsinki is just. That was fantastic. It was free. It was like minus fourteen maximum, uh, and we just that was great. That was like three days and um, one interview and one concert. So that was like the, the the luxury part of the trip. Yeah, and we ended up like thinking we wouldn't leave the hotel, but me and a couple other um, long-standing music journo's, Cameron Adams and Bernard Zul, and uh, a radio producer, ended up like ice skating in the main square and doing all did. sorts of stuff, tobogganing yeah. down the the. Um, <laughs> The, the town hall steps. Uh, so, in short, we're not allowed uh, back in uh, uh, Finland again. Um, <laughs> but that was great. But And then we ended the trip with a bunch of interviews in Los Angeles, which was, and we're staying at the Sunset Marquee, still the comfiest bed I've ever slept in. Yeah. But the interviews, and the interviews would come to us there, like Lionel Richie and um, Tim Robbins, who was doing, a, like the actor was doing, like a kind of a bluesy kind of project. I remember that. We went and interviewed uh, REM, as they told us they weren't breaking up right before they broke up. Yeah, thanks, um, guys. Stone Temple Pilots and all sorts of fun stuff. Although the, back in London, it was just after the Brit Awards, so there was a bunch of different musicians there. The two, the two things I remember from that uh, were um, interviewing CeeLo Green in a bed. In a bed? He was wearing a cable knit sweater. Like in the bed, he under was, the covers? I wasn't in bed. I was next to the bed. He was in bed under the covers. Oh, wow. And the, and the room was only lit by candles. What a uh, moment. Well. <laughs> was, do you think he was suggesting something? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but I, maybe he thought I was a different Simon Collins. Yeah, I maybe. Don't know, Simone, Simone Collins? Simone yeah, Collins. Yeah. But then also we had that interview followed directly after and quite tightly after an interview of Liam Gallagher for a BDI record. And we were all like, so these are the interviews, this schedule of interviews today four or five interviews back-to-back, different parts of London, all have to happen, all hinging on the first interview, which is Liam Gallagher. Oh, no. If there's now, one person I'm assuming you don't want at the start. What we should have realised is that the success of BDI, so if Liam did a bunch of good interviews and BDI became successful partly because of these interviews, then he could really shove it up his brother Noel. So he was a highly motivated source. And we're all sitting there and right on time he works in, he walks in, all right, all right. How you going? All right. Wow. That's a terrible Manchester accent, but anyway. (laughs) 
Um, and so he, so he was, had a little bit of motivation to... It was great. It, yeah. was, it was good. It was Liam, but he was still Liam, still very spiky. Yeah, which is what you want. Absolutely. You want the prickles. You, you don't want sweetness. You no. just go, who is this guy? He's coming back soon, isn't he? Well, yeah, yeah, if, yeah, yeah, if it can happen. Yeah, he's, uh, he's going to play some Splendor sideshows, yeah. including one in Perth, which is great. That, yeah, that, um, that solo album, I think, surprised me. Did it? Did it surprise you? He's, done, really well, he's, he's got he's done two and he's got a third coming out. Yeah. So the second one, yeah, it was all right. Yeah. His, his show was good. I mean, everyone was there for Morning Glory at the end and all those sorts of things. For but sure. no, he's got. I mean, obviously, he's coming back to Perth because there's a huge uh, expat English population here and sell some tickets. So he was good. He was good. Is there anyone still kind of on the on the mantle? You're like that interview's fallen through. I still haven't had a chance to chat with them. Yeah, I imagine there is a list. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, it's funny. It's probably like. Uh, Barry's, it's probably like Barry Gibb, Barry Manilow, um, you know, those, those sort of big pop stars. I mean, I love, I've always been a big BGs fan. I've never interviewed anyone from ABBA, so it's kind of like I'm almost more about the big bands. Never got to interview Tom Petty, that won't obviously happen now. Yeah. Uh, but I talked to Mike Campbell from the band, and that was, that was great. Um, I don't know, some of those really, oh, it's hard to. I don't think of too many off the top, but they're, they're probably the, the ones, I guess. And then, you know, all the, all the music still to come. Yeah, and sometimes interviewing those stars where they've just gone from, from nowhere to, to massive. Um, I really want to talk to Wet Leg, uh, the band from Isle of, Isle of Man, who yeah. are kind of breaking through. Isle of Man or Isle of White? I'm not sure. Maybe Isle of White. Isle of Man was the Gibb Brothers. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, those, they're sort of, yeah, they're probably the ones. There's lots yeah. of always new bands coming through. It's been fascinating watching, you know, uh, Dua Lipa, um, Billie Eilish, more, more to the point, you know. Is it hard up. to get to as many shows as you used to be able to? Because you've been doing this for a while and I know you still go to a heap of gigs, but as you get older, you get different priorities, you've got kids, all that kind of thing. Is it, is it still hard to get to as many um, shows as you want to? Yeah, well, it's hard to say because... The past two years, we've had a bit of a, a, a real poor, a shortage of gigs for obvious reasons. Yeah. But before that, no, not really. No. I mean, if it's a big show, it's kind of work. It's harder to kind of take back that time off the, off the office time or the point. And with the internet, like you go, the thing about these, the reviews I was talking about at the top of the, top of the podcast about like the Ed Sheeran one uh, and like when I saw Prince, Piano and a Microphone, incredible show. Both of those, I went straight home as quickly as I could from the venues and wrote them that night. So they were sitting there for whoever got in first for our on- online team to put online. Um, so I'm basically, like, sometimes I'm finishing those ones and rereading them with my eyes hanging down my head at 3am. Because it's still fresh and it's there. Well, and, yeah, it's going to be better it. than getting up and trying to... Do it the next morning. Know, being waking up a bit sort of sluggish. Prince, that's another one, because he passed away not long after that tour as well, yeah, if was, I remember correctly. Yep, yeah, very shortly afterwards. Um, I should mention as well, we're having a chat today in Ruin Bar, which yeah. is a cool new beer bar uh, just on Beaufort Street in the city, corner of Beaufort and Newcastle, and the beer list is amazing. Yeah, it's very good. Yeah, cool cool bar, and, and obviously you've been here a little bit, even though it's only been open a couple of weeks, but... Um, sure. The other... <laughs> Five-minute walk from my house. Yeah, handy, handy. Uh, you didn't move there because it's open. Um, <laughs> but the other string you've added to the bow is as a beer writer in the last few years as well. How, mm. how did that come about? Are you just looking for uh, the world's best gig to get better? Yeah. <laughs> um, just at work, there'd be a bit of chat amongst people about craft beer, and, and then um, we had a, a food... A lifestyle editor who wasn't wasn't a beer drinker, well, wasn't much of a drinker at all. She didn't drink beer for for health reasons, and so when there was a 
feature to be done on like the Perth Craft Beer Festival, um, she just asked me to do it and I went, great. Okay. And I looked at the list and thought about angles and went, well, the big angle here is how so many of the, the best WA craft breweries are from the southwest. And so I pitched a story on that, which then someone in marketing got hold of and went, we can make a whole magazine about this. And before I knew it, I was doing a 24-page lift out on craft beer. Oh, so that's the origins Very of the... Very steep learning curve. Yeah. Yeah, so I was always interested in it. And um, yeah, but I've really enjoyed it. And I kind of, I didn't want to just um, make it like a once a year thing because so much of the timings and, and whatever with, with breweries don't line up to, you know, a random publishing date. Um, I like doing it, sort of, I do a, a column now every fortnight and I do a weekly tinny of the week, so it's kind of become a monster. Yeah, be careful what you wish for, yeah. thanks, <laughs> thanks to those marketing guys. You're right though, because you, you can't do it justice with a yearly or a quarterly because, you know, every week there's, there's something new and something yeah. happening. Yeah, I could do it weekly, but that would probably be a bit too much work in terms of chasing brewers for uh, pitches and things yeah. like that. I mean, um, yeah, and it's been fantastic, and as I... As I th- I think I alluded to you in an email before this. I sort of said like there's a lot of parallels between uh, the music, local music scene and the local brewing scene. There's a real sense of real sense of community. Um, there's a real sense of you know rising tide lifts all ships. Um, there's there's a when someone's successful, people share in that success. Or, yeah. Or don't there's you know there's exceptions to that because there always is in any industry. But I feel like both are, are um, yeah are great communities. Yeah, I feel like brewers are um, competitive huggers in a sense. So they'll, they'll, <laughs> they'll try something and be like, oh, I like that. I'm, that's awesome. I love your beer. And they'll walk away and they go, oh, I'm going to try and make one better. Competitive huggers. I think I saw them support the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good band name. I, yeah, like I don't it. mind that. Yeah. All right. Yeah. We'll do that together when we start our band. Um, competitive huggers. Yeah, yeah. We'll get on a T-shirt. We'll, we'll do a gig. Competitive hugger. That'd be good. Yeah, that's not bad, is it? That's I might have stumbled upon something. I didn't even think of that before. Well, came if you to think me. of a good uh, phrase, it now has to become an IPA name. Yeah. <laughs> you might see that as the next gauge release. So, um, hopper. Hey, marketing team, I've got it. I've got one. Um, what What are you excited about for this year in in beer? Obviously, we're oh. we're a couple of months in, and there's already been some absolute rippers. I, but I don't know if it's the heat wave, but I'm just I've always been a big give me give me hops, give me hops, give me hops. But this year, I'm still liking hops, but I want them in lagers. Yeah, I'm loving IPLs and uh, getting kind of sliding back into some easier drinking beers, which is. Just great, and it is probably you know the time of the time of year. Yeah, um, yeah. I I love. I mean, I love the new cold IPAs. I think they're fun, and again, they've kind of got the lager yeast, so that's so that's um, kind of fitting in with that newfound uh, lager. I'm not into really big multi beers unless it's like a, a big red. Yeah, sort of beer. But I'm, I'm yeah, I'm interested in fun interesting beers from around the world but you know my focus really is on local stuff and there's enough to keep that going and support the industry because unfortunately I think we're all going to need a bit of support for the rest of the year and the other thing I'm looking really looking forward to is um, I think every winter I just look forward to like there's a lot of barrel programs starting up I'm really interested to see what um, what some of the the smaller brewers do with do barrel programs and there's also a lot of lot of uh, new uh, venues and brew pubs and breweries coming on to the um, on the scene, you know, there's a lot there's a lot of growth apparently still, which is incredible. It's um, actually been interesting here in Perth at the moment the amount of new venues that have that have opened up and and new brew pubs and things like that in a period that's been, you know, a little bit 
uh, unpredictable. Yeah, it's, yeah, and it's funny from my perspective as a journalist where, you know, I could get a really big name artist, you know, uh, you know, an exclusive interview for, for the world and that won't get as many hits as just the news of a pub opening down the road. Really? Well, the stuff like the, um, you know, when the Scotto became the Alford and, uh, you know, there's two, uh, the Corner Dairy and St Bridget in Doubleview and, you know, that's a real sense that people and particularly communities are really hankering for, for great venues. Obviously, Gage Road's Frio was, was huge. Everyone wanted to know at work. It was just the only question yeah. everyone had was, how's, how's the new Gage Road's venue? Everyone just wants to. So, you know, they're not saying, hey, that new Spoon album, is that pretty good? <laughs> they're saying, they're say, saying what, what's, what's a good IPA? What's that say about us? Uh, <laughs> well, it's really caught the imagination. I think craft beer, it's become, a, it's yeah. become such a, if not, I don't know if the... Uh, uh, the dollar figures stack up, but there's definitely that huge interest. The, the localism I, in, is a good part yeah. of it too, because you can really attach yourself to it, feel part of it. Like you said, there's a there's a community aspect there yeah. that's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, and it seems like every part of WA is going to have a have a brewery or at least one named after them. You know, yeah, I know Geordie Bay aren't brewing in Geordie Bay, but it's it's funny that there is a Geordie Bay brewing, brewing co now. It's we might just have to pull out a map and have a look at what's still left. There's a gap. Um, there's a gap. Yeah, it works in magic. There's always some that I look on, on Insta, I'll see something and go, well, is that in WA? Yeah, where's that? Yeah. So, like I said, like I hinted at earlier, I barely have time to go drink bloody Toll or, uh, yeah. you know, go to those, those Scandinavian brewers. Which is good because WA brewers are a lot better value. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's it. And it's um, it's fresh from down the road as Absolutely. well. Absolutely. Hey, um, good to have a chat to you. Great, great yeah. gig. And um, you didn't drop names too hard then. And I was, I was kind of pushing of names. you too. But yeah, we'll I'll give you a name. What do you want? You know, oh, Booker T. Jones, Taylor Swift, Carol King. I've said that Sting. I've actually interviewed all three police. So that's pretty good. James really? Brown. Yeah. Cindy Lauper. Wow. Glenn Fry or Frey. Frey. Weirdo Yankovic, one of my faves. Weird Al. Neil Finn, Paul Kelly, Tim Rogers, Renee Gay, Courtney Barnett, Tom Jones, Stevie Nicks. Nice. One of my faves, Shirley Manson from Garbage, Blondie, like well, Debbie and Clem. Yeah. Damon Albarn, more than once. Roxette, fantastic. Uh, Amy Mann, Susanna Hoss from the Bengals, just something random. Katy Perry, various Pogues, Meatloaf. <laughs> oh, rest in peace. Uh, Noel Rogers, one of my favourites. Mm. And Giorgio Moroda, actually one of my favourites as well. Simon Le Bond on three occasions. Great fun. <laughs> Ed Sheeran, Soundgarden, Jack White. Jack White. You and interviewed. Jack White, Jack Black. Nice. You got the pair. Yeah. yeah. Bert Bacharach, <laughs> Foo Fighters. <laughs> One of the best, actually, I did recently in the last five years was Boz Skaggs. Uh, Monkeys, I've interviewed about, I think, all, no, more than, I was only, only one living now, but. Yeah. I think I've, or two. You got them in. Pixies, Breeders. PJ Harvey. And my man, James Nick Hetford Cove. from Metallica. You told me about oh, that. Oh, yeah, yeah, times. Metallica. Yeah. Snoop Dogg. Snoop, nice. 50 Cent. He didn't hang upside down like at the Super Bowl. Disappointing. <laughs> Ice Cube. Ice T got that pair as well. What else? Danny Elfman. Alice Cooper is always good. This is a list. Sir Bob Geldof. <laughs> um, Aqua. Nice. See, that was really interesting. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Billy Bragg. Dua Lipa. Sir Rod Stewart. It just goes on and on. Coldplay, Spandau Ballet. Well, I was just making a joke about you not being a name dropper and you've just dropped them all. So. dropped them all. <laughs> yeah, why not? <laughs> Got to pick them up now. That's the problem. Yeah, Dolly it. Parton, Beck, Wilco. They're still going. Brian Wilson and the Beach Boys. There you go. There's more and more yeah, and more. And more. Well, I'll just the Beach Boys. I'll cut that bit out and run it off the top as if it's what you opened with. But um, <laughs> no, good to have a chat to you, Simon. Cheers, Jamie. We'll go have a beer. Cheers. Cheers, That's Living the Dream by Gage Rhodes. 
Gage is an indie brewer just out of Frio in WA that's all about going after it and having an epic time with a few brews. Check them out at gageroads.com.au. Thanks again for having a listen. Subscribe so you don't miss an app. Share it with your mates. Chuck us a rating. And get in touch if there's someone you want to hear from on the potty. I'm Jamie Burnett. Cheers.